Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Swisspreneur. In the last episode, you got to know Daniel Gutenberg and why he became an investor. Today, he will talk about early stage fundraising. You will learn how to fundraise the right way, what success factors make a great founding team, and how you can get the attention of investors. Let's listen to what Daniel has to say. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SBB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at sbbstartup.com. Daniel, welcome back to the second episode with you on Swisspreneur. It's a pleasure to have you again. Thank you for having me. Today, we're going to talk about early stage fundraising. And I would like to start with the first question right away. What mistakes do you see Swiss startups making repeatedly when it comes to fundraising? You know, there's a whole bunch of mistakes and it's, uh, it's not, no problem to make mistakes. Uh, they're usually when they are early stage uh, looking for money, uh, that means that it's the first time they look for money. That's not a problem. What I think is, the, is one of the bigger problems um, or mistakes uh, early stage uh, companies are doing nowadays is that they look at their peers what, uh, uh, on the valuation. Uh, and, and that leads to a very unhealthy uh, valuation spiral uh, to the top. I don't say that because I don't like to pay high valuations, which of course I don't. But I say that because uh, high valuations really are a problem. Uh, and high valuations uh, and valuations in general are not uh, the only uh, parameter that uh, should be looked at because evaluation always goes together uh, with some other parameters of the investment and, and doesn't mean anything by itself. I can, you know, I can, uh, if I can set the rules of the game, I can give any valuation to, uh, to a company. Uh, because if I, uh, uh, if I keep all rights, uh, and uh, so the valuation means nothing. I can, I can change that again in the second round. That makes no sense whatsoever to just compare valuations to each, to each other. Is a, high, a too high valuation also a problem for an increasing chance of a later down round, for example? Oh, absolutely. And down rounds are the worst. They completely... Um, demotivate the founders, demotivate the uh, employees. Uh, they um, they do uh, you know shed a, a bad light for future um, partners, future investors. Um, they are really destroying momentum. So that that's absolutely to be. That's the worst thing that can happen to a startup really is to have a down round. Absolutely. It sort of, it sort of is a death sentence, right? It's not a death sentence. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I would say, I would say a third to half of my portfolio companies had a down round somewhere in their life. Wow. So it's very usual. Um, um, but um, it's easier to have a down round if you have had already two, three rounds than if it's a second round. Yeah. Because that then it can be a death sentence. Okay. So if the, I mean, especially if the first round is too high and then the second one will be a down round, that, that could be a death sentence. Okay. So later it's uh, getting not as big as a problem as it is in the early stages. I think so. Okay. Makes sense. Now I get why it's 
it doesn't make sense to compare the, the valuations with other peer companies in that field. But the question remains, it's not that easy for early stage companies to, to find the right valuation. How would you go about that? So I really think, you know, that uh, I have a good idea about the valuation, what it should be after 20 years. Mm -hmm. Doing that and looking at 500 companies every year, you, you, you get a very clear picture of what the valuation should be. Um, as, a, as a startupper, I really think you should go totally open into discussion and listen to the investors and, uh, and let them set the valuation. Uh, because obviously, uh, if you haven't done any turnover yet and there is no numbers, um, your valuation it really depends on what the investors are willing to pay. I mean, you can of course talk him into a higher valuation. Um, they might be willing to do that, but then they will set very harsh terms. And they will ha set also very high expectations and you would have had to, you know, maybe oversell your business plan that you can't reach. So it, at the end, it's a very bad situation for everybody. Mm -hmm. So the best thing really is to go out and listen to the investors and listen to, uh, you know, as, as large as possible range uh, of investors and, 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 and then... Uh, uh, make a picture out of that instead of having a, a number in your mind and, and, and trying to, you know, put that on the investors. I think that's a nice takeaway. So you sort of don't focus on peer companies or not too high about, you know, what sort of total addressable market you could reach and these things, but you sort of check the investing market to give you a valuation. So you sort of get the valuation from the investors market, not, not from anywhere else. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a very great takeaway. How does an attractive investment case look from your side? What are the success factors where you say, this early stage company is an interesting case for me to put some money in? So it, it, has, to be, it has to be somebody that has found a secret that nobody knows. Uh, so the secret that nobody knows is something that... Um, uh, everybody thinks it's impossible, like a phone without any buttons, just a screen. Mm -hmm. Or like uh, um, in the early times of the internet, um, you would sell your uh, internet or your, your e-commerce or your um, web-based company by how long the eyeballs would stay on the, on the site. Because then you could sell you know, banners and, and, and make money with marketing. And then somebody comes around and says, you know, people come to our site and within 0.2 seconds, usually they go away, uh, which is exactly the opposite. And of course, this company was called Google and, uh, and they completely, uh, you know, destroyed my business that I had with Alta Vista, which was doing the same thing much better, but with a different thinking, with the thinking we need to have the eyeballs as long as possible on the site. So that was a secret. That was a secret. They knew, nobody else knew. And, and that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Anything else that you look for, particularly at that early stage? I always ask myself the question, you know, does it you know, help humanity? Does it, uh, does it uh, entice me and other people to shell out a uh, dollar or two dollars? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if there is a billion people that I think would pay a dollar or two dollars for the service or the product, then uh, we're talking a unicorn. You once also mentioned that you don't really care um, how high the bill for internet and communication will be in three years. 
from an early stage uh, company's perspective. So you don't really focus too much on the numbers at that early stage. So yeah, there is one thing that's for 100% sure that uh, the business plan that is presented to me will not be uh, reached. Uh, it will be e either uh, missed or surpassed, but it will definitely never be the way it has been designed. So I don't look at the numbers that much. I do look at the numbers though. I look if they make sense. So I want to see that somebody has uh, a clear understanding of what is needed to, um, uh, to grow his company. Mm -hmm. So if somebody thinks that his product is going to go viral from day one and he never is going to use a marketing dollar to, uh, for customer acquisition cost or doesn't even know what that means, customer acquisition cost, yeah. then of course I can read that in the business plan and see that uh, he has not understood the market. But I, I don't look at the absolute numbers. I don't really care if, you know, EBIT is going to be minus 1 million or plus 10 million in year 4 or 5 or whatever. So a business plan is still required or necessary Absolutely. Absolutely. to do a reality check? Absolutely. Actually, I will never take any meeting and discuss any startup before looking at the before getting the business plan. It's also sort of is a hurdle that they need to pass to uh, invest enough time into it and give it a, a good Absolutely. thought, right? Absolutely. How much money should an early stage company raise? I know this is very specific on industry and, and focus that you have and the product that you're building, but is there a certain range where you think it makes sense to go for a seed round with within a, a certain dollar or Swiss franc range? No, no, it's totally different. You look at it or I look at it this way. You're going to raise as much, I mean, ideally, you're going to raise as much money as you can. That's the first thing. Whatever you can raise, you know, take the money as long as it's not on the table. But the second thing is the goal that you set is you want to raise as much money as you need to be able to show the next big milestone. That could be, you know, a thousand beta users. That could be a software, a platform. Um, Whatever it is you do, but if you can show something, uh, so you need to raise as much money so you can show this and with this in hand, with this beta product in hand, you'll be able to, to raise the next uh, amount of investors because you have something that you can show. And so you don't raise as much money as you need to reach that step. You, you, you raise about twice that because you're always going to use twice <laughs> than what you think. <laughs> uh, but, but that is really the, the key parameter. What is it that you have to show mm -hmm. and how clearly can you define that what you have to show? Um, so in life sciences, it could be, you know, animal testing or, or stuff like this. And in technology, it could be um, um, a certain amount of users that, uh, that you have acquired. You mentioned that it's not very much possible to determine a, a fixed range of amount that the company should raise. Is there a certain amount of shares or equity that they should give away percentage-wise spoken uh, in, the, in the seed stage? Um, you mean to investors? Or exactly, you, or, or because you don't want to end up giving up too much, yeah. but you also don't want to end up giving yeah. too little that yeah. the investors don't really care too much about it, uh, too less about it. So uh, I like, you know, I like to be the founders to be in, in charge and, and also in the ownership, uh, which means that uh, I want 
the founder to, when we go out and make an exit, uh, to have at least, let's say, 20% of the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to kind of time it that way, you know, so that in the first round you give away 30%, you have 70%, the second round you give away uh, as much so that you still have, let's say, 50 or 60% of the company. In the third round you might go into minority, but you're still the main shareholder because all the others uh, have smaller parts. So you're still the largest shareholder. So I, I really want to, to be the, the founders to be in the lead. Uh, um, and by the way, all my investments I do, I'll never ever try to get a significant stake. I always try to be, you know, my, my sweet spot is between 5 and 10% of the company. You also said that founders should look for raising twice the amount of money that they think that they need. What does that say in, in, in uh, terms of run rate? How long should an investment round from your seed stage last you? One year, two years? a couple months oh. is there a certain number that you can say or a range that is a, 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 you know something good to aim for well it's exactly the same thing it's double the time that you think you need until your beta or whatever your next milestone is uh, will be there mm -hmm. so if you think you need one year give yourself two years of run rate um, so and and of course you don't want below one year because raising money takes money uh, it takes time. It takes sorry. time, yes. <laughs> How much time does it take on, on average to, to close a seed round from your experience? It usually takes about three, four months. And do you think that first-time founders especially uh, underestimate the time and effort that it takes to get there? Uh, yeah, they always underestimate the time and effort. <laughs> it's, it's, sort of... it's not very productive. I mean, it's not... Um, it's, it's kind of a lost time that you don't work on your product. You mentioned also uh, the, the next milestones that a company should aim to reach uh, after they close the founding round. What KPIs or traction do you look for before you actually invest in a, in a seed stage in a, at an early stage? Oh, very often there's zero. I mean, there's just an idea, a piece of paper and zero traction. So um, if, you know, if, if they have already KPIs and traction, that's great. Then you can look at it. But very often it just doesn't exist, yeah. So it's really about the topics that you discussed before. It's more about the team and the, the potential that you see, not specific market numbers that they already achieved or customers yeah. they acquired. Uh, that's more later stage. When you do later stage investments, then you have some criteria on, 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 on growth and stuff like this. That's, that's not really my business. In, in, in the early stages, that's, um, usually you don't have those KPIs. Now for first-time founders who probably have never raised any round, I would like to sort of walk them through how such an investment process looks like. So I guess it all starts when you discover a new startup, like your brother did on the, on the ferry where they met the Mobileye founders, or you receive a pitch deck from your contacts or from the founders themselves. How does it go afterwards? What happens next? So, okay, so I, for me, this, the process is very easy. I get the pitch deck. If I uh, like it, I uh, call them up and ask them to meet me mm -hmm. or to have a phone uh, conversation. Uh, if, I, uh, if I still like it, um, then there might be a second meeting where I take somebody along, uh, like an expert in the field or something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, if I still like it, there will be usually the third meeting at the premises. So I want to see their office, I want to see their co-workers, I want to see the surroundings. You know, do they already have Ferraris in front of the door? Or 
<laughs> or are they humble? Uh, and um, and after that, uh, it's depending on the company. If they're ready to uh, to rumble, uh, I'll invest right away. And if they need more time to get the round together, I might even help them to get the round together and introduce them to friends and, 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 and put the round together. What questions do you usually ask them along that process? So let's take the first meeting, for example, or the first phone call that you have. What is your focus or your goal uh, that you want to sort of get uh, deeper involved? So uh, it's about 50-50. 50% I try to find out who is the person. Mm-hmm. So what has he done before? Um, how does he think? How does he look at life? What's his status in life? Uh, totally unrelated to the company. And then the other 50% uh, is then related to the company. Um, where does he see the market? What motivates him? What has he done so far to reach his goal? Mm-hmm. How fast uh, has he been able to execute his, uh, his uh, task list? And, and, and how does his task list look looks like? And then the further you move uh, you know, closer to the, to the closing line, are there other questions that you ask them once they sort of, you know, manage to get over this this first initial test or contact phase? Yeah, of course. Then I try to go in deeper and, and find out uh, who are the partners uh, that uh, the startup deals with. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they managing the relationships to his partners? How are they, you know, how many customers or potential customers have they already talked to and stuff like this? I think a very you know specialty of Switzerland is also that we don't always communicate very directly. So I can also imagine that for startup founders, it's sometimes not very clear whether investors are really interested in investing in them. How do you perceive that? When the, do startup founders really know if someone is really willing to invest with them or if they should push it a bit harder to get that commitment? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um... Uh, of course, I, as an investor, I try not to the startups too excited um, because I know, I mean, my statistics is I invest only in 1% of the startups I look at. So I, I don't, you know, want to raise the expectations too high. Um, so I, I try naturally not to be dancing on the table and super euphoric the first meeting. <laughs> Just in the second meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not in the second meeting either because it might, you know, put the price tag too high. Right. But uh, <laughs> after the exit. <laughs> Definitely after the exit. I think it's just common sense. I mean, if the investor doesn't answer and you constantly have to uh, remind him that uh, he wanted to send an answer, and if the answer is uh, three words instead of uh, three sentences or three pages, uh, I mean, that should give you a hint on the interest level. Sounds a bit like doing sales in a B2B sector, for example. Totally, it's a sales job. I mean, to to get fundra- I mean, fundraising is a is a sales job. Absolutely. So then, when the replies get shorter or take longer time, when is actually like a certain point reached where you would say or recommend a startup to you know don't waste any more time there? Uh, you're probably not going to get a check from that investor anyway. Well, I think if 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 you have a structured process, then it it doesn't really um, apply. I mean, you just you know give all your 
uh, you ask your investors, do you you know still want to be informed? And then you inform all of them at the same time with the same information. Yeah. It does make you more work, really. Yeah. So it, it does make you waste time. I mean, you just have to make sure that you have a you know large enough base of investors so you can you can do that. If you of course are relying you know, only on three possible investors, sure. it's like in any sales process. Then. Uh, the funnel is too small. I think that's a very important point that you just mentioned that the startup has to control the fundraising process. I think that's something that probably a lot of first-time founders are not really aware and think they have to, you know, sort of get in touch with investors and then they sort of tell them what the next steps are. But what you just mentioned is sort of the opposite that the startup, the founders have to control that process, structurally follow up and also set of like set clear deadlines uh, when the, the round is basically closing. So that's very crucial. I mean, if you, uh, if you expect that your investor is doing that, then uh, you will find that uh, only pretty unprofessional investors do that. Yeah. Because those unprofessional investors, they will do only one or two or three investments and then they will be able to help a lot or put a lot of time in. I'm not sure how helpful it is, but they will be able to put a lot of time in. But the professional investors, of course, they have, you know, an amount of portfolio companies that will not allow them to to structure the, the investment process. What would make you feel comfortable as an investor? How should a startup at this early stage communicate with you? And what are certain, maybe you can call them gates or follow-up steps that they should undertake to give you the best experience as an investor, if I can call it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should come with a, you know, with a business plan that is um, pretty complete. Uh, what does that mean, complete? So it means that in every aspect uh, is, is is well represented in there, meaning, uh, you know, the financials team, the competition, the market, the go-to market. Uh, so that every section has uh, been deal dealt with. Huh? It doesn't have to be a 100-page uh, business plan, which I really don't like. Sure. Um, it should be, you know, first maybe a teaser, one or two pages, uh, and, and then a business plan, maybe, you know, five or 15 pages max. Uh, uh, but it should be high quality. I mean, the information should be very high quality. And, uh, and then, of course, send it out. Um, and when you send it out, ask the investor how, you know, what's the next step? Will you call me back? Should I call you back? Uh, should I call you back if I don't hear after a week? Uh, what's the deal? So just and clear then, the expectations. Then, yeah, exactly. And then, then, then be on the ball. Then don't forget if you say you're going to call back in, in a week, don't forget to call back in a week. Like a good sales process. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think one important topic, especially for first-time founders, is also how much should they get paid after funding? There's a certain balance, you know, to save as much money as possible to leave it in the company for building the best product possible, but also to give them a certain level of security. What makes you as an investor feel comfortable? What should the founders get paid after the initial seed funding? Okay, so of course I'm looking at unicorns, huh? so that's special. You can't really apply that on, on every company, mm -hmm. but uh, if you are a unicorn and you believe that you are a unicorn and you can only be a unicorn if you believe in it, um, then you will be stupid not to invest every cent that you have uh, on top of what you need into your own unicorn because that's the best possible investment you can do. And that's what I would expect these people to do.
So no matter, I mean, so I really expect that you only need your salary to survive and everything else you, would, you will put uh, either in cash or cash equivalent or other possibilities into your own company. Mm-hmm. Else, I, I mean, that's only logical, right? If you're sure that you're building the next Mobileye or Netscape or Facebook, why wouldn't you put every cent that you have in the company instead of putting it on the bank? Zero interest rate or even below zero. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we also talked about fundraising structure and you know there's a lot that can go wrong, like having too many investors or having the wrong investors. How does the fundraising structure at your very beginning, at the early seed stage, uh, set you up for later success? Yeah, it is very important that you have the right investors. Um, what I see uh, the most often the problems is that you have maybe too many non-professional investors like uh, friends and family um, that's fine and, and, and there's no, nothing against that but if you start to have too many of those uh, then it's important that you you know structure it in a way where you can pool them and there's one of the pool who has uh, voting rights uh, else when, when the company grows fast and you need um, shareholder resolutions often then it becomes a real burden if you have too many people and they might be on vacation in Bali and you can't reach them and you need the signature and I mean that that really becomes a headache. Uh, that's one thing. Um, uh, the other thing is uh, treat all your investors the same. Mm-hmm. Don't make side letters and special promises and stuff like this left and right because that becomes a headache and will hit you back at one point. And, and, and also try to call, I mean, if you have the choice, huh? often you don't have very often the choice, but if you have the choice between different investors, then why not make a due diligence? Why don't you go on the web page, look uh, in what companies they have invested before you and ask uh, the investor, you know, can I call your CEOs? I just want to have a reference on you, how it is to work with you. Mm. And, and, and that's only, you know, that's only a two hour investment and you can call five CEOs and then you know uh, if it's a good investor or not. Um, that doesn't happen very often, uh, this, uh, um, this due diligence. Um, if you have the luxury to have too many investors, you know, then you should definitely do that. Is there a certain number where you say, okay, now it's getting too much of investors uh, for an seed funding basically no I mean oh yes I mean if you let's say you're raising I just say a number 10 million you probably don't want to have only one investor that does the 10 million because then uh, you're at his total mercy Um, and you don't want to have 10 investors because uh, it's too much work to uh, or 20 investors or 50 investors because it's just too much work to handle all of them so you want to have something in between, you know, you want to have three, four, five investors, maybe um, because somebody's strategic, because you think his input uh, is valuable. So something in between. After now, imagine that you invested into a company. How does your involvement look like? What do you do to support the startup? You said you want to give them pretty free hands and let them run the business. and. Still, you are involved in in certain boards and uh, you probably support your startups in numerous and many ways. How does such an involvement look like? What do you do after you invest it? So, yes, I am in some of the boards, but I do try to avoid it. Um, If I don't have to, I'd rather not uh, sit in the board. 
Why not? Um, because I don't think um, the decisions are made during the board meetings. They, in, in, in good companies, the decisions are made way before and are only presented at the board and you just say yes. <laughs> so sort of for documenting reasons that you have uh, exactly. all the legally <laughs> obligations fulfilled. Absolutely. So, uh, 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 and it's a hassle to be in the board. It's, it's uh, just a legal hassle in most countries. So um, I don't see, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, there's a big value in the board and I think it's important to have good board members, independent board members, um, board members that can really, you know, bring a company uh, in a strategic uh, direction maybe. Um, but since I'm usually not an expert of, uh, in any field, um, my position in the board might not be that valuable. Um, I think this is a, an understatement because you've seen a lot of successful companies and you created one on your own. Yeah, yeah, but that's very just, you know, on growing company specific, but not on a, on a certain field. So, but what do I help? I help uh, in the very beginning a lot, I think, because I, uh, I know already without doing the due diligence, which, you know, investors are good investors, uh, have a good network and a good uh, name in the market and which don't. Um, any investor I call will take my call and if I tell them look at the company they will be able to present. Uh, usually that's not a problem so I, if I want to get uh, an investor at least I can get him to look at it very easily. Uh, so I can really help to put the consortium together. Um, I can help in those questions that you just asked, you know, where should we go? What is the next milestone that an investor would look uh, look at and say, okay, you deserve to have double the valuation on, on the last milestone. So to define this milestone, I think I can help. Uh, and that's an important part of it. And um, so, so I would say in the first three years of a company, I can help a lot. And then my investments are always very long term, 10 years, even longer sometimes. Uh, and then uh, in, in those years in between, I don't think my uh, input is that needed. Of course, I'm there and I always take the phone and I always try to help if I can. But uh, usually um, the next big input where I spend a lot of time with the company is when we are talking about either buying other companies to, uh, to make a merger play or to sell the company or to IPO the company. Um, that's where I again have a lot of experience and I can really help and be really helpful. And then I would spend, so basically really I spend a lot of time in the beginning of the company and at the end of the company and in the years in between, hopefully not that much. Let them just grow the business. Absolutely. I, I happily send them a bottle of wine at the end of the year if the numbers are good. Cool. <laughs> How often do you usually check in within these three uh, early years that you after you invested do you just like read the monthly reporting or do you attend regular meetings with the founder or is this highly individual depending from case yeah, to it's, case? it's highly individual okay. like, it can be really weekly phone calls and meetings mm -hmm. uh, it can be monthly it can be quarterly it also depends if uh, you know Sometimes I have, you know, 2% of the company, sometimes I have 20% of the company. So that also makes a difference, of course. And how is that contact, contact usually initiated? Is like, if you're not happy with the numbers, do you then call the, the founders or do they come to you if they have specific questions or need input or an introduction, for example? Both. 
I mean, not only the numbers, also if I see a business opportunity, which of course I see all the time because I'm running around looking at companies, sure. uh, then I will call them and put them together with, uh, with other startups or with other companies. My last question for this topic, how do early stage companies who are looking for funding best get in touch with you, for example, or any other early stage investor? What's the best way to get their intention? Well, the best way, of course, is to approach me through somebody uh, that I know uh, and, and get his buy-in first. So uh, if, if a friend of mine tells me there is this killer company uh, and uh, I have a high esteem for that friend, then I definitely will go and look at it. Um, uh, and the very best or, or quite usual way to go about it is that... Uh, one of my portfolio companies, CEO or CTOs or C-level people is completely convinced about the startup mm -hmm. and then approaches me this way. That's, uh, I think, high quality deal flow. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's where most of my deals come from, really. So cold emails are probably not a very good idea. No, they don't usually work. But, you know, it has happened that it worked. <laughs> sure, but it's more the exception than the It's rule. totally the exception, yeah. absolutely. Great. So these were all my questions. Is there anything else that you would like to add to that topic or that we have not talked about yet? So really one thing is important for me uh, in the investment criteria or more, my most important investment criteria is that uh, I always invest in people that are more intelligent than myself. Uh, very important to know and I, uh, and I know that very well. I never build a unicorn myself. Uh, my, my company was far, far from being a unicorn. So I only invest in people that are far more intelligent than myself. I think that's a very nice ending point. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time and the great input. Much appreciated. And we wish you all the best of luck of finding new unicorns wherever they might hide. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Swisspreneur. If you have any feedback or points we can improve, please let us know and send us an email to info at swisspreneur.com. If you liked what you just heard, please make sure to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter at swisspreneur.org. See you next time.